Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Bob Kappelman. And thanks, Bob, for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. So pretty much what you're saying, is, of course, is that, as usual, we are being scammed by the Indians and the Chinese. Many people probably do understand that, but the official government position in this country is to accept that as an incredible uh, accomplishment and a wonderful uh, contribution to net zero. And in the meanwhile, it's just another device to harm us in the United States, reduce our lifestyle and our individual rights. Uh, at the expense of the Indians and the Chinese who are doing no such thing. So obviously the question is, I mean, is number one, is net zero by nineteen by 2035 or 2050 even possible? But more importantly, what what harm will come to us? Can you really identify that for us? You went into it to some degree, but what you're basically looking at, as far as I can see, is you're going to have not enough electricity for everyone to have it, not enough food for everyone to eat. All of your economic engines will be cut to the point where people will be unemployed or unemployable. Uh, seems to me a complete devastation of the United States. Yes, and I, I would not uh, fault the Indians and the Chinese for wanting to give their people a better quality of life. And that comes from having uh, economic and reliable electric energy. I mean, look at the whole way our civilization is now set up. But I, I take umbrage, I guess, of the fact that we are foolishly willing to destroy our own economy uh, for a quest, almost like a, a Don Quixote quest uh, for net zero, because the science is not there that net zero will give you what you think you're going to get from it. You're not going to stop climate change. There's a model that EPA developed, a very good tool called the magic model. And what it does is it uses many of the UN climate models, about 19 of the 30 or so models, uh, and it predicts, uh, it's a very uh, nice model. It takes two of the variables. It takes carbon dioxide emission, uh, and then it also takes the what they call the equilibrium constant, which is the temperature change that you get when you double the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. 
Um, and you can manipulate this. And I've got, uh, have the model, uh, used it uh, many times when I do analysis for clients. And if you completely eliminated uh, this, all the carbon dioxide from the U.S. economy, all the man-made economy or human-made, anthropogenic uh, carbon dioxide, the change in temperature is 0.17 degrees centigrade. The UN says if we raise, if we don't get the temperature, if we can't stop the temperature from raising, uh, you know, 1.5 degrees, we have Armageddon. It's, you know, it's, they're already now saying we can't get there uh, because they're looking at their own models. So, uh, but if we decarbonize the whole world, the whole industrial world, you're only going to change it by less than uh, 0.4 degrees. So you're not anywhere near uh, what you have to do to stop uh, the, the global warming, according to the, the UN models. Uh, so you look at that and then you realize, well, wait a minute, uh, that model doesn't take into account the developing countries. So your developing countries, India and uh, uh, China, aren't really in there. They're not really in the model. And their emissions are going up. And their, their emissions have gone up since this whole debate uh, started. So it's, uh, since 1990 to today, you know, our emissions in the U.S. because of our energy efficiency programs have gone up about 7%. In that same time period, China's has gone up over 300%. India has gone up over 200%. So they're basically putting out more than we're eliminating the whole industrialized world. Uh, those two countries alone, over 30% of the, uh, the emissions. And they're not going to stop. And I don't blame them because they are committed, you know, for various reasons. Uh, the Chinese know if their people uh, do better and better, uh, they, the chances of a revolt gets less and less. So they're going to keep their people happy. India, the same thing. They want the best for their people. And that comes with having economic and reliable power. And why we would want to get rid of that is beyond This is Dr. Dan, and we are back with Bob Kappelman. And thanks, Bob, for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. The question here, um, obviously, is, and what we're talking about, is whether all the expenditures and this radical reduction in our standard of living, uh, whether it will really prevent this Armageddon, climate Armageddon, which probably is is um, a fake is a fake you know it's a it's not something that we really need to be worried about anyway if the climate go, rate if the temperature goes up a degree uh, what is that going to really matter uh overall uh, it's the same thing as uh, carbon dioxide wanting to get rid of carbon dioxide means you have less plant growth what is wrong with having more plant growth it means more food to eat uh, so this whole this whole thing is is just completely made up in order to control planet Earth. Uh, when you look and you see that the people, the moneyed people on Earth, the ones who are driving this 
by controlling the media and being outspoken. And they're all flying to to climate change conferences in their private jets all over the place. They're living these exorbitantly wealthy, uh, privileged lives. Uh, none of that is going to change for them ever. They do not believe. They will crush all of us. They will force us into living in poverty uh, if those of us who even survive, but it's never going to affect them. It's really a very distressing thing. While I'm listening to you talk and explain what's, what is going to happen, I'm just getting more and more angry about it because we're talking really about the lifestyles and, and the freedom and the natural rights of our children and our grandchildren. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Uh, those of us who are older, uh, we're older. But we have generations that uh, beneath us, younger than us, who are going to be really severely affected by this. Uh, and, and that just makes me really, really angry that some people feel they have are so arrogant that they feel they have the right to do that to us uh, and it not affect them. Well, I think the other side of this is why is carbon the enemy? How did carbon get to be the enemy? This is where the ignorance comes in and also the malpractice of the education system, where you now have kids in kindergarten taught about toxic carbon. They're not taught about the fact that uh, we... <laughs> Just just uh, from your medical background, what percentage of the human body is carbon? It's a very large percentage because we are a carbon-based organism. Every single thing, every single cell in our body is based on the carbon molecule through the functions, through the DNA, through everything is based on carbon. Without carbon, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be. Oh, so uh, uh, by weight, uh, 18%. Okay, you know, uh, oxygen, uh, hydrogen, because of water, et cetera, et cetera, probably uh, up there with that too. And you say, okay, you're, you're a carbon-based unit, but then, uh, you know, if you eat uh, a really nice carrot, uh, what is the, the major building block of that carrot? Oh, is it, could it be carbon? Well, wait a minute. Let's let's move to something else. How about a big juicy piece of fat? Well, that's carbon. Well, how about protein? Well, that building block is carbon also. Your DNA, your amino acids. I mean, they're all set on a uh, a, a carbon ring to make those. So you look at this. We're a carbon-based planet. We have the carbon cycle. And the, the one thing you can still find this, but I'm, I'm so surprised at so many of the graphics that I, I saw in the 50s and 60s on cycling of carbon in the atmosphere are so hard to find, but you can still find them. But in the carbon cycle, you've got plants, you know, growing, taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. You have plants dying and decomposing, putting CO2 back into the atmosphere You've got all these different cycles, uh, CO2 coming off the ocean, CO2 going back into the ocean, and so on. Well, of that cycle, uh, man's emissions are not 
you know, what most people would guess, well, you know, with all of this anthropogenic carbon, we, we've got to be the major contributor to this. I mean, there's 700, uh, 750 billion tons of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that's just there. Uh, we contribute of, of stuff going up and going down about 5% of the total on an annual basis. So you've got plants decomposing, uh, putting about 90 billion tons up a year, according to the latest statistics, we're putting out about seven. So you're looking at that and said, well, you know, you know our carbon dioxide must be different because our carbon dioxide is, is driving everything. Well, how much CO2 is really in the atmosphere? I, I told you about 750 billion tons are in the atmosphere. What percentage do you think that is? Well, 0.4%, 400 parts per million, probably a little bit more than that. So how much of that 400 parts per million is man responsible for? Well, you know, his man's is different. It's, it's actually causing the heating in the atmosphere, but Mother Nature's carbon dioxide isn't. So that never made sense to me on that. We know now uh, that we get, and this is where you need to have the other side. What are the good things about carbon dioxide? Well, one of the things is in the last, oh, since the 40s or 50s, our agricultural production is up 30%. And that's due to two things, uh, ammonia-based fertilizers, ammonium nitrates and other fertilizers, about half. And the other half is more fertilizer in the air, more food in the air, and that's carbon dioxide. So you now have people that are proposing, you know, ignorant people, in my opinion, are proposing that we need to decarbonize the atmosphere. Not only do we have to stop it, we need to go back to pre-industrial levels, which is about 250 uh, you know, parts per million. Well, your agricultural production will drop dramatically. If you do that, you start, you start to starve the plants. Most people don't realize since this evil carbon, if you don't, at, a, at about 160 parts per million, plant life stops. We came close to another one of the great extinctions when it got down to that level. And uh, why it got down to, I have no idea. It was, you know, hundreds of uh, thousands of years ago, but we got to that point and we've been, it's been rising. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. It started increasing and it's continuing to increase. Uh, the one thing that people don't uh, realize is that there's a cycle between CO2 going in the ocean, CO2 coming out of the ocean, and no one is really looking very hard at what drives that flux. Uh, is it the temperature of the water? Could that be it? If the water is colder, does it hold more gas? Well, gee, I think uh, in physics that is the case. Uh, what if there's a natural warming of the ocean due to whatever Mother Nature is doing? You know, are you going to have more carbon dioxide? Is it going to change the, the balance of carbon dioxide? I don't know. But I do know this, that the maximum food production comes at about 1,500 parts per million. There's zero, zero health effects 
at that level. There's zero health effects up to a couple of thousand parts per million, and you really have to squeeze the science to, to see anything really bad at all. But the point is, the worst thing that's going to happen with increased carbon dioxide when we go to the terrible 500 parts per million, which the science in the 90s indicated that was a no harm number. Now it's disaster. You know, what changed in the science or did the political science change? My bet it's the political science. But the worst thing that's going to happen is there's going to be more food. You know, that's the science. That's the real science. That's the agricultural science. You know, in a way, the Industrial Revolution saved humanity because it increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to get it up to 440 parts per million so we could grow enough food to for all the people here who are on Earth. Uh, because you're absolutely right. And, and people just, they just have to understand the implications of what these evil people are trying to do in taking over the world, saving themselves and killing us all off. Uh, they, they just have to realize the, the fact is, is that carbon dioxide is not the enemy. It's essential for all life on Earth, uh, that it is necessary. And if, if carbon dioxide goes down to the point where there is no, where plant life suffers, then everyone dies, including us. Because without plant life, there is no food at all. We eat, whether we eat a hamburger or whether we eat a carrot, it all comes from carbon dioxide making plants grow. Uh, so there seems to me that that there has to be a massive re-education because we cannot continue to just sit idly by and allow generation of, of kids to be taught something that is complete and total rubbish about how the earth works. Definitely. And, and how, do you, how do you do that? The thing is, you're getting one side of the story. I, I like the debate of ideas where you, you tell me why you think carbon dioxide is the enemy. You allow me to take, take the side of why carbon dioxide is not the enemy and have the best facts on, on both sides that you can get. And then, uh, you know, the, the other thing is you've got to get critical thinking back into the curriculum. You've got to, uh, you know, there's a certain percentage of people that have what they call horse sense, common sense, but it's not, not that common. Critical thinking and logical thinking can be taught. There's some people that just have a built-in BS meter. And they can tell when something doesn't make, make sense. But the education system, I'm finding college graduates that get out of school, haven't had a course in philosophy, haven't had a course in logic, haven't had a course in critical thinking. And, and they're out there, you know, uh, voting, having. <laughs> but this, this stuff is starting with the kids. There are books out there teaching them how bad carbon dioxide is. I, I wonder whether they even teach photosynthesis anymore. I don't, I don't know. But uh, the, 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 the reason I run into people our age that 
are, are just naturally skeptical of this. It doesn't make sense. Now, I find an exception to that, but they've lived long enough to see the changes that they, uh, yeah, I've seen that before. I, yeah, I remember the drought of so-and-so. I remember this. These kids coming out, they've got a very short view span you know, of life right now. And so if they've got everyone talking about the earth's going to end, Armageddon, there's only 10 more years left in the earth, you panic them. They don't have anything to know. Well, wait, I heard that before. I heard these wild claims before on environmental changes that turned out not to be true. They, they don't have that historic background. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything.